0: Well, today we are going to be finishing the book of Nehemiah. Woohoo. <laughs> we've been on this for uh, many chapters and uh, we've been following Nehemiah and he got called to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild these walls. Growing up in Indiana, there was a state park near our home called Turkey Run. It had an old-growth virgin forest and a creek ran, running through that called Sugar Creek. It was miles of rough, rugged terrain and scenic trails. Sometimes our family and church group would visit there on a, on a picnic and things and walk the trails. We'd split up into various groups, and we would walk through the woods and see all of the steep ravines and cliffs and beautiful forest. Invariably, somebody strayed off of the trail and ended up getting lost. And here we were waiting at the end of the trail for the stragglers finally, maybe two or three hours later, to come back in. They looked thirsty, they looked tired, and they looked exhausted. Well, straying from the trail at Turkey Run was an exhausting experience, but straying from God is devastating and serious. Well, Nehemiah had been 12 years since they began this project of rebuilding the walls. He was out of town for a while. When the 12 years were up, Nehemiah returned to Persia, evidently once again to serve the king Artaxerxes. And we don't know how long he remained away from this. Perhaps it was two years or so. While he was gone, some rather startling news Rather, changes took place in Judah, changes involving serious violations of the Mosaic Law. When Nehemiah once again returned to Judah, he faced a task that in some, some respects was a whole lot tougher than rebuilding the walls. He had found that the people had departed away from God, and it is harder to fix people rather than fix walls. Nehemiah had a tough job ahead of him. God's people forgot their promises. Nehemiah returns and he finds a bunch of straying saints. Then he sets about to steer them back on the path of biblical obedience. And that's what chapter 13 is all about. I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. And then we'll look at five different areas of straying saints we find in this chapter. Nehemiah 13 reading verses 1 through 9. On that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and in it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God, because they had not met the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now, before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storehouse of the house of God, he was allied with Tobiah, and he had prepared for him a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, The articles, the tithes of grain, and the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. But during all this I was not in Jerusalem, for in the thirty second year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I obtained leave from the king. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all of the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. Then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms, and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Let's pray. Father, we come in your presence today and pray that as we look in this passage of Scripture and we examine the straying of God's people, that, Lord, we would take it to heart and see that perhaps we too can be guilty of the same things. And God, bring us back to faithfulness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to share five areas that these people, these people in The city of God, Jerusalem, had strayed after Nehemiah had left him. The first one is in the area of compromising companionships. Now, they needed to separate from the mixed multitude. Now, who are these mixed multitude? Well, when the children of Israel had escaped the land of Egypt, and Moses had led them toward the promised land, they spent some time wandering around in the wilderness, And they met some peoples in that wilderness that were very helpful and very kind. And then they met others. Among the ones who were very antagonistic were the Ammonites and the Moabites. Not only did they refuse to give Israel any bread or even water, they hired Balaam, the false prophet, to curse them. As a result, God had said, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the congregation of the Lord even to the 10th generation. That's found in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3. Now, since the land of Judah was not heavily populated at this time and the returning exiles found themselves, not very many people, they had uh, permitted Ammonites and the Moabites to mingle with them in the land. Their standards of separation had fallen and they no longer maintain their unique way of life. Well, here on this day in chapter 13, verse 1, they read the Word of God from Deuteronomy chapter 23 and they discovered that they were not supposed to allow the Ammonites and Moabites in their congregation. They become convicted by the Word of God And they did something about it. They separated from that mixed multitude. Now, that was not an easy thing to do. Because by this time, they'd become part of the population. Maybe they had business partners who were Ammonites or Moabites. Maybe they had uh, uh, people that were neighbors or maybe even relationships with these people. But they broke off those relationships on this compromising companionship. Well, there's a danger of unwise companionship even in our lives as well. The Bible says in Amos 3.3, Can two walk together unless they be agreed? It also says in 2 Thessalonians 3.6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. And other passages in the New Testament warns about hanging around and associating with people whose character is ungodly, whose language is filthy, whose morals are questionable. Because what happens is what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Be not deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Folks, you tell your kids that, don't you? Uh, I don't want you hanging around with that kid. I seen that he was throwing rocks at his neighbor's house, or and the language that that kid uses. Uh, you're not going to hang around with him. What about us? We too can lose our spiritual fervor for the Lord when we associate with those people that do not have the same kind of standards. Yes, we need to be a witness. Yes, we need to share the gospel of Christ, but not to make those relationships such to the point where we are losing our own saltiness. We're losing our own biblical distinctives. So we also need to be careful of the mixed multitude and engaging in compromising companionships. Be careful of those you choose as your best friends. Be careful for those that you choose to be your partner, whether in business or in life, that they have the same godly standards as you do. They had strayed from the Lord, and Nehemiah is coming back to call them to account about this. Straying saints is the second area that I'd like to point out. In verses 4 through 9, we'll call this cluttered chambers. An enemy was occupying a chamber in the temple. Now, when Nehemiah had finally come back, and I don't know exactly how long it was, but it didn't take very long for him to be away that a guy by the name of Eliashib who was the high priest at the time a high priest of Judah he had prepared a large room in the temple for a man by the name of Tobiah does that ring a bell with you Tobiah he was an Ammonite Eliashib who was the high priest and Tobiah were close associates some say that he had family ties. Tobiah, T- 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 if you recall, was an enemy. Of the people of God. He had opposed the building of the wall. All, all through chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 7, 6, 12, 17, and 19. So many times he had, he had said evil things. And he had th- made threats that this wall would come down. And he was literally an enemy of the Lord. Nehemiah is away. You might say, when the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> and in, in other words, Elisha the high priest had prepared a room for Tobiah to live in the temple. He was an enemy of God and now they brought him and living right inside of the temple. And he continued to oppose the work of God. Well, what did Nehemiah do when he heard that? Verse 8. And it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. And then he goes in there and he sees, who's who's these? Well, uh, this is Tobiah's. What? The enemy of God? So he gather, gathers up all of his stuff, probably his bedroll, probably his uh, clothes and everything, and gathers them out, throws them out in the street. And then in verse 9, then I commanded them to cleanse the rooms... And I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the frankincense. Doesn't this remind you of another person in the New Testament whose name was Jesus? He went into his father's house, the house, the temple, perhaps a a remodeled version of this Herod's temple, of course, but remodeled version of this same temple And he goes in and he finds something going on right in there. He sees people selling animals. They sell doves for the sacrifices. And you know what that was? Is because when people came to Jerusalem, they had to... uh, go a long way. And they didn't want to bring their livestock with them. They didn't bring bring carts of doves with them. So, hey, don't worry about it. We'll buy them at the temple. And they actually moved the marketplace right into the, the courts of the temple. And Jesus comes in here and there's a place dedicated to God's glory, dedicated to prayer, dedicated to worshiping him. And he sees and he smells all of the animals. And he gets so full of the zeal of the Lord that he upsets the Tables of the money changers and takes a whip and drives them out and le- uh, unleashes the doves away. He is filled with divine. They had made the temple of God a chamber there for the enemy. I think how applicable to you and me sometimes. We are supposed to be the temple of the Holy Spirit, and then we allow an enemy to come into our temple. Some things that settle into our mind, the filthy, evil thoughts that settle in our mind that belongs to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes our eyes, sometimes our mouth, the things that should be coming out of our mouth should be praises to our God and encouragement and gossip and swearing and other filthy things comes out of our our mouth. We need to be ruthless as Nehemiah grabbing that sinful clutter and throwing it out away from the temple of the living God. Oh, I tell you, we can stray. We can stray in compromised companionship. We can stray in cluttered chambers of our our own temple, but we can stray in this third area that Nehemiah's people did. And this is verses 10 to 14, and we'll call this a financial fiasco. What had happened in these verses of Scripture, their giving had been neglected. The people had failed in their commitment to bring their tithes and offerings to the Levites. As a result, the Levites and others who were to live off of these offerings as they performed spiritual service for the people, had to go out and work in the fields caring for livestock. This meant that they had less time to work in the temple. In verses 10 to 13, Nehemiah corrected the problem. He reminded them and put back in place the importance of the tithe that the people had neglected. Remember that little chamber that they had for Tobiah, the enemy? You know what it was supposed to store? It was supposed to store the grain. It was supposed to store the frankincense and the other articles that were to be used in the temple service as they worshiped the Lord. Since the people weren't tithing anymore, they weren't bringing in the grain offering. So it was kind of empty and they filled it with the enemy. You know, we can fail the Lord as well in our need to make giving a priority. We can start off well in our promises. Lord, I promise to to tithe. I promise to give you a portion out of every check for your honor and for your glory. And then we make those promises. Then something comes up, a bill that needs to be paid, or some pressure or a trip that we need to make, and then we don't have anything left to give. What, you need, what we all need to do is to make giving a priority. Give God first. And as you, as you train yourself to give him first, it's amazing what he'll do with the rest. Many of you prove that in your own lives, in your own giving, that when you make God a priority, everything works out. Even though it doesn't figure out financially, God works it all out. You know what? It's, it's not that God needs our money. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owns everything. He's the ruler of the universe. But what he does when we give him, it helps us to break the stranglehold of selfishness in our life. When we release that, when we release our giving to the Lord, it breaks our own selfishness. I tell you, some of us have a hard time letting go of those dollars, don't we? We just hang on to them. You know, my wife, my wife is a real giver and we go out to eat in a restaurant and she looks at the tip that I throw down there and she gives me that eye and I know I need to pick up those $2 and put the 5 Oh, I did not want to put that $5 bill there. Uh, but you know, it does something. It breaks that selfish hold, you know, and I think our giving to the Lord is the same way. We need to prioritize that. You see, when Nehemiah was gone, they stopped their tithing. They stopped their giving, even though they promised it. But they needed to have that restored, and he gets that back into place. There's a fourth area where the people of God began to slack. And we'll call this one secularized Sabbaths. Verses 15 to 22 tells about that. They treated the Sabbath like any other day. Let me read verse 15 and 16. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre dwelt there also, who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah and in Jerusalem. What had happened? They had promised to keep the Sabbath. They promised. The Sabbath began on Friday night from Friday sundown till Saturday, the next sundown. They were not to do any work. They were, they were not supposed to buy or sell or allow any of the merchants to come in. Even the fish and all of those, they were not supposed. They were closed the gates. Well, somehow, while Nehemiah was gone, they thought, hmm, I can make a little extra money. I can get that project done that I was supposed to get done. And Nehemiah wasn't there to chew them out about it. So they began to treat the Lord's day the same as any other day. And they violated the Sabbath. Well, Nehemiah comes back. And he, took, he takes decisive action. He confronted them. As a matter of fact, let's read what he did in Nehemiah chapter 13 and verse 11. So I contended with the rulers and said, no, that's not the one. Verse um, 15, in those days I saw people in Judah treading the wine presses on the Sabbath, bringing in the sheaves and loading the donkeys. Verse 16, men of Tyre selling fish. Verse 17, I contended or I confronted with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded, Shut the gates. And they charged that they must not be open till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gates so that no burdens be brought in on the Sabbath. Now the merchants and the sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside of Jerusalem once or twice. Okay. Nehemiah says, okay, shut the gate. Nobody comes in. Nobody is going to sell anything, and we're not going to treat the Sabbath as business as usual. So he had closed the gate, and you know what happened? The merchants, the men of Tyre with a uh, wagon load of fish and all of the other uh, goods, they camped outside of the gates. Kind of reminds you of Black Friday, doesn't it? Have you ever seen the tents that people put up waiting for the the doors to open? Especially Best Buy. I mean, they want to be the first to get their new toy that just came out there. So they camp out. They have their little uh, snacks and they have these things. Well, just imagine, uh, Nehemiah has all these people camping out there. And what does he do? Let's look at what the Bible says in verse 21. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the walls? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath. (laughs) I'm going to have me and my guys toss you out. We're going to lay hands on you. Nehemiah was not our cuddly, friendly guy. He was a pretty tough-minded leader. You know, I I think there's an application here. The application. Now, we're not Sabbath observers. We are not under the Old Testament law. But if you make a, an application to this, it would be honoring the Lord and treating the day and worshiping him and making going to the house of the Lord a priority and not violating that and not treating it like another day of business, not treating it like another day of pleasure or going to the beach or doing this and that and the other thing. And, abandoning the worship of the Lord. Make that a priority. I think in, I think uh, this is the perfect time, the last Sunday of the year, to make a commitment. Lord willing, if my health is there and I, I plan to be in the house of the Lord every day that I possibly can and honor Him and worship Him and not just treat it like an extended weekend to do whatever pleasure I want. Make, make that. Don't let any thing, break that priority of worshiping the Lord. Even if you physically can't be here, you can watch the live stream or the video at home and involve yourself in worship there. One more area that they had strayed. We'll call this one domestic disobedience, verses 23 to 31. What had happened in these verses of scripture, they had intermarried with pagans, Verse 23, In those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah but spoke according to the language of one of the other people. So I contended with them and cursed them and struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, you will not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters of your sons or yourselves. What a leader that guy is. He, he struck them. He called down curses from God on them. And he pulled their hair. My goodness, what would if I would? I think some of you, something's already happened to your hair, so I wouldn't have much to pull. But anyway, (laughs) he really was a tough, bold leader. He said, you're not going to do this. What is happening? What is happening? They promised to bring their children up in the fear of the Lord. Now they intermarried with uh, the pagans and their Family had become so secularized that they were not even able to speak the language of God. They weren't able to speak that language. I tell you, I think the application is very pertinent. We need to do what we can to prevent the unraveling of the family today. The language of Judah is being forgotten in our families. So many of our children are speaking the language of the secular world when they need to be brought up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, where family prayer and family scripture and family of serving the Lord and family church attendance is a priority, where our language at home is not filthy, where we don't lie and don't talk about people or don't hurt people. We need to make sure that the family unit and... And the family godly walk is preserved. Because many of our children are not speaking the language of God anymore. They've been so secularized. And Nehemiah says, stop it. Stop it. Straying saints, folks, before we point our finger at those people in Jerusalem, we need to point the finger at ourselves and ask ourselves... How have we strayed away from the Lord? Robert Robertson was what you would call an unruly child. Only eight years old, his father died and raised by a loving mother. But in spite of Robert's intellectual giftedness, he had a penchant for mischief. Robert's mother sent him off for apprenticeship when he was 14. But once he got out of the home, his life got worse. Instead of working and learning... He chose drinking and gambling and carousing with the wrong crowd. Caught up in his reckless life, Robert and his friends decided to go to an evangelistic meeting one night just to heckle the preacher, George Whitfield. Sitting in that meeting, however, Robert felt as if the preacher's words were meant for him alone. He couldn't shake the feeling that God wanted him to surrender his life. When he was 20 years old, Robinson gave his life to God. And then he entered the Christian ministry. At age 22, as a pastor, he wrote the song, Come Thou Fount. It was written as his own spiritual story, a story of pursuing pleasure and joy, and only experiencing when Jesus sought me. Millions of believers can relate to Robinson's testimony. Unfortunately, and for some unexplained reason, he became altogether unstable and unhappy. His Christian beliefs and training seemed of little importance to him later in life. On one occasion years later, he found himself in the fellow passenger of a young lady on a stagecoach. It's reported that she began to sing to break the monotony of the trip. And what did she sing? Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart To sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mound; I'm fixed upon it. Mount of thy redeeming love. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord. I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. As she finished singing, the young woman asked Robertson what he thought about the song. His startling reply was, Madam, I'm the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I could feel now as I felt then. Even the one who wrote that song strayed away. And every one of us, my friend, can stray from the path of faithfulness to God. But I want to tell you, God is gracious. And God is forgiving. He is the loving God as the prodigal's father with his arms spread open waiting for us to return. Let me ask you this question as we finish this year of 2021. Have you strayed away from the Lord in some of these areas of your life? Don't you think now is the perfect time to come back and be embraced in the loving arms of your Heavenly Father? Let's pray. Father, we bow in your presence today. Perhaps your Holy Spirit has used your word to speak to one of your children who has been away from you perhaps they have allowed some clutter in their heart possessions of the enemy that are cluttering up the temple of the holy spirit perhaps their family situation is strayed perhaps they've compromised in relationships with others that dishonor you whatever area it is god speak through the power of your Holy Spirit, and help them today to come back home. They will find a loving Father waiting for them. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing.